Hello and thank you for joining us on the Western Sports FC podcast. We managed to pick up a maximum number of points on Saturday and scored nine unanswered goals in the process. We'll go through the detail and look ahead to, our coming, to the coming weekend. We're currently running a predictor score and currently has a prize pot of £1,000 for just a £1 stake. If you think you've got what it takes to predict just three correct results, then please get in touch. All players have entry slips for you to join in or you can get hold of us via any of our social media sites or website. It's Thursday the 17th of January and this week we're trying to avoid the speakers in Western Sports HQ and I hope we'll be done before the quiz starts. With me tonight is Ant Heron, Jake Wolfe and probably briefly Matt Phillips and there's a possibility Alex Murphy will join us in a bit. So, kicking off today we're going to start with the reserve team game. Now, this is the first time we've played in four weeks. A game against Paul Borough and... The sort of start of the game reflected the fact that it's, it's been a while. Uh, yeah, watch, so watching on from the sideline, it was uh, <clears throat> quite obvious to see that there had been a long break between games. So uh, I think a few few too many uh, mince pies and a few too many beers have been had over the Christmas break. Um, probably all summed up by my favourite moment of the first half when Nat Carney went from Nicholas Bentner to Zidane back to Nicholas Bentner in about three seconds <laughs> so that was uh, that was gold for me um, but but like I said it just it just showed that after having such a long break having the Christmas break in between that as well um, there was a lot of heavy legs I think and, and you know a few and uh, a few tired minds as well during the first half and as the first half started in the first half hour it wasn't going that well and people were getting back into the game we were reliant on on our goalkeeper to save the day yeah um rich pippin uh, made some fantastic saves in the first half um well first 30 minutes really to keep us in the game um we set up slightly different this week i think john um set up us a 4-4-2 to maybe just keep it a bit more simpler after the christmas break um and yeah pip made probably three or four saves in the first 20-25 minutes um, to keep us in the game um, we struggled to get our half a bit we did look a bit threatening on the counter attack with Charlie Gay who was pacing behind and I think that's where our first goal come from It's good to have that strength and depth in the goalkeeping department as a club really so yeah the, after Pip saved us four times from the sound of it which is really good um, we managed to get the breakthrough after half an hour and it was Charlie Gay who broke the deadlock yeah, it all came from an, an absolute monster of a header, really, from Jack Dicker, to be honest. He's, uh, the ball's coming from a, court, uh, from a goal kick, and he's managed to clear near enough the whole pitch, and Charlie Gay just ran through. So, um, so that was, yeah, that was fantastic. Um, and it, to be honest, it was a case of their defence looked quite shaky whenever we went forward, and the rare opportunities we got to go forward in the first half. Um, and I think uh, the second one came from a bit of... Um, Joe Jarvis kind of forced his way through, a bit of battling from himself. Yeah, I think it was a mix-up between the goalkeeper and Joe, um, where the ball spilled out to the wing. I think Charlie's turned on the ball, um, to sort of put it in the back of the net from probably about 20 yards outside the box. Um, and Roy sort of tapped in from a couple of yards to make it 2-0, just to make sure the ball went over the, over the line. I think, well, you, yeah. I think Charlie insists it was going in, but according to Rory, it was going wide and he just had to tap it in. Well, any good forward player, you've got to be in the right place at the right time. You definitely need to make sure it goes over the line, as I'm sure Ant will, Ant will tell you. So that was two in pretty short space of time. And before even 40 minutes had played, it was 3-0, which completed the scoring for the first half. Yeah, I mean, 
It pains me to say it, but the, yeah, the man who scored it was Scotty Morgan. Um, I think it was offside, wasn't it? Yeah, offside. We'll count it as offside. Go down, goes, goes down his own goal for me. Um, <clears throat> no, took a def- uh, free kick came into the box, took a bit of deflection, and Scotty T was kind of on his way into the box and just, I think he tripped, stumbled, fell, hit him in the face and ended up in the bottom corner. So uh, good finish from Scotty Morgan. So considering the performance of the first half hour, the fact that Pip had been saved made four magnificent saves to be 3-0 up at half time was a bit of a bonus um, yeah definitely so um, I think it's one of those games where we didn't play very well and sort of hard to remember what happened first half because it was pretty um, sort of not much going on however it just happened to find ourselves 3-0 up and it did feel we could sort of add more goals in the second half because they were not, not the best at the back really and what was the message from the management team at half time um, I think it was sort more just keep doing what we're doing, um, just use the second half to maybe sharpen up from the Christmas break and um, just get a bit of fitness under our belts for the next game and just try to add a few more goals, really. And so we'd got one young lad in Rory on the score sheet and then not too long, well, halfway through the second half, another one got on the score sheet. Yeah, well, Isaac came on and to be honest, it, it's... Um it was quite impressive to watch because there was no uh, no not that it should be but there was no like element of fear at all getting on the balls <clears throat> quite often he was making things happen him him and Rory had quite a nice little partnership going you know, combining quite often and um, yeah there was you know he probably could have had a one just beforehand and keeper made a decent save um, and then when Isaac did get his, his second chance keep it one on one with a keeper and just put it to the bottom corner and off the post and it was a lovely finish um, but yeah really good performance overall for Isaac when he came on Ah, it's good to hear got the young lads involved and scoring was finished off by regular Dwayne Forshaw yeah the game was um, dead and buried this time um, the other team um, pretty much one of the 90 minutes to the final whistle to come um, I think Dwayne's cut the ball out from a pass out from defence into midfield or I think it's from the keeper to defence actually and he's cut the ball out and stuck the ball in the back of the net um, I think from just outside, just outside the box, I think. Yeah. Uh, not a bad finish, yeah. So that made it 5 0 and pretty comfortable win in the end. So it's a game we've won 5 0, and the man of the match went to our goalkeeper. That's yeah. slightly unusual. <laughs> yeah, a bit, bit of a weird one, but I think that just kind of tells the tale of, of, the, of the game, really. Um, yeah. It's one of those, you know, no disrespect Paul, but if we were playing against a side that potentially higher up in the league, that we, like we, Tisbury next week, we could have potentially been in a bit of trouble. Um, I think the boys know that. I think JR and Sheedy know that. So, you know, next week's, diff- uh, sorry, well, this Saturday coming is a different test. Um, and, yeah, boys have got to be a little bit sharper. OK, so other results in the Dorset Senior League from this week was Blanford 3, Mere 4, Allendale 3, Wincanton 7, Bemster 1, Chickle 6, Dort Sports Reserves 0, Broadstone 0 and obviously Western Sports 5, Poolborough 0. Uh, that leaves a second in the league table, five points, four points behind Mere but with two games in hand. We have two games in hand on third place Tisbury who are six points behind so therefore could level it all up if they play the two games in hand which sort of makes the game on Saturday away at Tisbury quite a big one yeah absolutely um, probably the biggest game of the season now is coming into the second half of the season as well um, but what Wolfie just says yeah we definitely need to be a bit more sharper for Saturday um, yeah obviously we're going to get turned over if we start like we did for the first 25-30 minutes from, from Saturday just gone so yeah we definitely need to sharpen up for Saturday 
Uh, Tisby on a obviously a good run of form. Only just like us, have only played once this year, um, but they've they've won every they've won their last sort of four games. But they have conceded in each of the games, and including against teams like Allendale, um, who are sort of near the bottom, and Broadstone. So obviously they score goals and win games. But maybe there's an opportunity if they're maybe a little bit weaker at the back. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's. I wouldn't say weaker. Essentially, so when when we played them uh, at the start of the season, you felt that there was a their pe- their, they didn't have that much pace in their back four. Um, what they do have, however, is a lot of physicality, um, which is why they have been successful in this in this league. Is because they've come in and it, they they win they will try and win the battle before they start playing football. Um, however, like you say, because they're back four. Is quite slow. It does leave them vulnerable to a counter attack. So that's potentially where we could uh, could hit them. Um, <clears throat> but it's it's a case of winning the battle against it. When we played them at the start of the season, we had a couple of young lads playing with us um, who come up from the under sixteens. It might have been so under sixteens, under eighteens, in it and. In those sorts of games, you need some experienced heads. You need some people who know how to grind out a win. And, and what we don't want to happen is, you know, we want to go to Tisbury so we can get the result because we don't want the let, letting the two 0 lead slip to two and drawing two all against them to hit us later on in the season. Okay, good stuff from the reserves on Saturday. So, first team we're away at Stoke Newton, and we had a, a very difficult. 2-0 home victory very early it's probably second game of the league season against Stoke and Newton and their results and the fact that they're bottom of the league have sort of surprised us since that game man yeah I thought when we we played them was the second uh, second game of the season yeah. they were going to be a, they're a young side they look they, I don't know they may have just had a better pre-season than us because they, they honestly for large parts of that game were a lot better than us I thought so um, so yeah we were expecting uh, a difficult game and it obviously wasn't easy um but I think the way we started the game kind of made it easier. Set yeah, set the tone. So yeah. And we had a new couple of new faces, either in the side or on the bench, Murphs. Yeah, uh, Harry Vandervel uh, come over from Sherbourne, uh, tall, really quick. Um, so he he's kind of settled in. And uh, Nick Voss, I think it is. Yeah, Nick's come from Chickerel. Don't know if he played when we played him when I was in the resis. If he played for Chickrow when we played, I couldn't recognise him uh, if he did. But yeah, Nick's come over as well, so he was on the bench to start with. But yeah, two good additions. Okay, so the last time we played out Sturmish Newton, and we picked up a trophy at the end of the game. There's obviously there's no opportunity to do that today, but um, the game couldn't really have started any better for us, could it? No, we took the lead after about. Two, two minutes yeah, was it literally yeah. it, was, it was straight from kick off um, so yeah it kind of set the tone and I don't I, we dominated the whole game but particularly in the first 20 minutes I, they, they just didn't have the ball did they no, so. it's one way traffic wasn't it for the first 20 and, and I won't ask you Ant because uh, we'll, we'll talk to Smurfs but the, the first goal was well, it was a decent finish wasn't it yeah it wasn't too bad it was alright <laughs> um, it says in the match report that Johnny Manley won the ball <laughs> Um, and fed amp, but not the case. <laughs> Carney put us put us straight. Yeah, I think I, I, Johnny might have uh, had the ball, but I think the ball went up and Carney either flicked it on or sort of knocked it forward, and Ant ran onto it. And I was just starting to make the run in between the centre half and the left back, thinking, right, here we go, play me through. And he's hit it from thirty yards, and I've turned to go mad at him, but it's kind of <laughs> nestled in. So. 
I think, I mean, it, obviously, Ant, I, it's a great finish. I think the, the keeper was probably not quite ready for you, I think. Was that fair to say? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what... Yeah, no, he's, he's a long way out. Um, yeah, he, he was miles off his line, and he was kind of to the, to the right as well. So, I, yeah, it was an all right finish, but he probably <laughs> should have done better, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe not from the strike, but yeah. his positioning, and, yeah, it, yeah. it just invited me, I mean... It was a rubbish strike. Just his, 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 his position invited you to take the shot, doesn't it? Yeah, and in the match report, it says, goes bottom corner, and it, it lobbed the keeper, <laughs> right, and bounces in. I think it... I think it may have gone in bottom corner at the end, and I, I don't think anyone is here is to question the oracle of how and what he writes, so that's fine. And... Literally a couple of minutes later, uh, new boy Harry he gets in on the act as well. Yeah, uh, and I think Ant headed it up and sort of towards me, and then I think their centre half came to come and challenge me, and I won the flick on, and we kind of uh, Harry Gibbs had said that uh, Harry Vanderveer was quick and to look to get him through on goal and see what he could do. Um, flick on, and I think again keeper bit of no man's land and I think from about 20 about 20 yards out Harry lifted it over him um, yeah middle of the goal but keep away off his line and uh, and yeah went, went into 2-0 I think after about 6 minutes and you kind of starting to think game over already and it was reasonably comfortable we had a, an awful lot of possession passed the ball around quite nicely and it looked like you Carney and Henry were sort of enjoying things in the middle and certainly controlling the game from there yeah it was nice um, Carney sat because um, I'm fit and lazy <laughs> no, Carney sat so that sort of held that position and then kind of me and yeah me and Henry were just rotating yeah we, we just had we just had the ball in it to be honest it's probably credit to sort of manly wakes and you know yourselves at the back where where we were dominating the game so much as defenders you probably didn't actually do much for the first 45 minutes so you know, you still just kept rolling the, those five-yard balls into us to let us sort of get on with the game instead of, I don't know, you know, going on your runs or whatever. But, yeah, controlled it. Oh, God, sorry. No, not your phone. Controlled it throughout. And, um, yeah, Carney had a good game, I thought. Yeah. Okay, so we we managed to um, miss a couple of chances along the way. And then... Who missed them? <laughs> Me. Oh, we won't mention that, but... Um, next thing is really Harry gets played through again and Murph do you want to talk us through what happened with the, the challenge on him and the yeah, referee's decision I'm not, I'm, again I was put in the match report slipped when picking up a back pass I'm not sure oh, right. I, I, I think um, this, is, this is before we before we get to the third goal we're, we're now talking about um, Harry being played he was clean through oh, on goal clean, yeah, clean through yeah. on goal yeah yeah Carney's won the ball and Harry's gone through on goal and you kind of turn him round thinking he's finished the first one 3-0 and then uh, yeah I think he's stuck it over the bar so uh, it was that one he was also uh, challenged for another one where the defender got booked for it but he might have been lucky that it was only a booking yeah the, well, the rest said he, he was a long way out from goal he's probably, he, probably, he probably took him out about 25 yards out which fair enough and I, th- I understand the rule. I thought the rule was if, if he'd have done it in the box, it's not a double punishment with the penalty and, and red card, right? But if you're going for the ball, whereas yeah. this lad just took took Harry out from 25 yards out when he was clean through. So, I whatever, the, I could, the, yeah. the ref had made his mind up, so you couldn't change it. But. Harry was clean through and it, it looked to all potential purposes to everyone it was a red card and how he got away with it, we're not quite sure really, but... 
Okay, and then Harry did make it 3 0. Um, mistake by the goalkeeper. Yeah, we'll come on to it now then. Uh, yeah, I think I, I can't, if either someone put a through ball and it was overrun or one of their players has gone to pass it back to the keeper. Um, but where he's gone to try and collect or clear the ball, it's kind of. I don't know, he's kind of just ended up on the floor and Harry's robbed it from him and then on the corner of the box and then just had to sort of walk the ball towards the net and just had a centre-back on the line um, to beat, which I think, you know, sounds easy but sometimes can be a bit uh, bit more difficult with the thinking about it, but he smashed it in. So, yeah, 3-0, under, under half-hour played and you're starting to kind of wonder how many it could be. And the last chance of the half probably fell to Henry, who was clean through. I mean, it's uh, he rounded the goalkeeper nicely, and it's a chance he probably should have scored, but it was the defender did really well nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, defender did really well. Um, I think Henry took another touch when he rounded in, didn't he? Just needed it at first time. And, but, yeah, credit to the uh, defender. It shows, even though 3-0 down, not, not giving up. But, yeah, he should have stuck it away in. OK, so the second half started, and... I guess really it was all about we had a lot of possession and knocking it around at the back nicely and just controlling the game really. Yeah, it was um, it was it was one of those where we started getting a lot of the ball and starting they were almost kind of resigned to the result and playing four five one sat in. Um, I think it's first time in a few games where we've been like that. We've kind of had merely Cobham, um, Hamrek even Dortch Sports to a certain degree where it's been a bit more kind of uh, even games and um, and yeah we were starting to play some nice footy but maybe not making clear, too many clear cut chances maybe forcing it a bit and one new boy in Harry uh, got substituted after a while to bring on the other new boy Nick Voss and one of the things he did when he came on Merce was to tee you up for a goal yeah um, I think through ball from someone um, uh, Nick came on for Harry I went up top and Nick went out on the right and I think he cut it back and says that I lost my foot in but managed to scoop it in the back of the net but it was a bit behind me and I tucked it home but there we go <laughs> an excellent finish obviously from, from, from a good three or four yards out and we finished off the game reasonably comfortably and there's never any danger of anything else it was just whether we could turn it on enough to score any more really yeah I mean ideally I think we'd like to have scored a few more because goal difference I mean not you know not the same goal difference um, merely and ham record the same goal difference and we're about I don't know 17 goals behind but yeah I, I think I think we could should have we should have had a few more but clean sheet and a, a nice you know a good win so you can't be too critical I don't think Okay, so the other DPL results from the weekend was Blanford 3, Portland 5, Corf Castle 3, Murley 6, Gillingham 0, Bridport 0, Holt 0, Hamrek 7, Parley 2, Dortch Sports 2, Sternewton 0, Westerns 4 as we know, Swanage 1, Sherbourne 2 and Wareham Rangers 1, Bolty Sports 3. I mean, going through that list, I mean, there's clearly one result that stands out. It's Hamrek scoring 7 and not only 7, it's scoring 7 away at Holt. Holt beat us up at Alvington earlier in the season and I think it's fair to say we probably deserve something out of that game however you don't really expect them to get beat 7-0 at home even if it is Hamrick it must be a different side is it I just don't get Holt at all like they, 
every time we played them, they've been last few years probably the better team for most all of the games, and they're they're a good side. And Hamrek said, "Oh yeah, I mean, Hamrek a, a quality side, aren't they? But I, yeah, I wouldn't have ever thought seven 0 away from home, but." credit to them it shows how good their, their squad is and that so and this weekend we've got Swanage again earlier in the season we suffered defeat away at Swanage their current run of form isn't quite so good um, this weekend they lost at home to Sherbourne they managed a 1-0 win away at Stone Newton the week before and preceding that was a 5-0 defeat at Gillingham an 11-0 defeat at Murley and a 2-3 defeat at home to Corfe Castle it obviously seems like maybe their team has suffered and we've, we've got to be getting the three points this weekend yeah I, I didn't play in the game earlier in the season but it sounds like there was a few uh, a few out with you know like Steve Ormrod playing in defence and, and things like that so um, their results aren't aren't too good at the minute doesn't look like they've really done too much if they uh, if they won 1-0 away at the same Sturmitz and Newton side as we played last week then I think we've got to be confident of winning but uh, if we've already lost them this season I, I suppose that they have got it in them to, to spring a result so we'll have to start fast like we did last week and hopefully get a couple of early goals and uh, kill the game off OK so the under 18s this weekend they were away at Burnham uh, went out with a 0-0 draw there's an awful lot of good chances for us really in that game uh, including four very very good headers and a uh, couple of chances for Luca, but unfortunately we couldn't find a way through so that finished 0-0 they have a big cup game uh, away at World in the County Cup this weekend so best of luck to those guys as well right let's talk about weekend's football or other stuff that's been going on Spurs May United that happened at the weekend um, the first half was a uh, I imagine a delight for a neutral to watch those who saw it it started quick both sides had had good spells in it and entertaining I guess yeah I thought yeah as a, as the only near neutral one here yeah no, yeah, it was a really good game but um, I was just surprised with Spurs because when the goal came it wasn't a surprise the warning signs were there weren't they both sides were so open um, and yeah you know both sides could have probably had a couple goals but yeah, I think if you're a Spurs fan, you'd be disappointed, really, ultimately, with how they played, I think. And I think the first surprise of the game was what United did with Marshall and Rashford tucked wide and Lingard almost as a, as a false number nine. It surprised everyone and certainly caught Spurs unawares. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one, one thing that Lingard does, to, well, one thing that Lingard does quite well is, he, you know, he's... He, he never stops running really he's always constantly on the move which which does create space um, you know, he's, he's not afraid to run the channels which is something that maybe Lukaku as a, as a proper number number nine shall we say um, you know he doesn't run the, run, the, uh, run the channels as much as he could so you know it's, it's, a, it's different from all the social but United needed a bit of different before, uh, before he came in so it looked like a good move and there were chances at both ends in the first half but United took the lead and it was a, a very good goal you know great break up play from Lingard a great pass from Pogba and a, and a good finish from Rashford yeah I think it was trippier when it went to play a sideways ball and Lingard read it um, dropped it into Pogba and obviously he's starting to show what he can do um, sort of sprayed that pass that I don't think many people could um, Rashford ran onto it and I think 
Pogba said after the game they were looking at the space in between the fullback and the centre half to break um, perfect ball through for Tongan and Davies and uh, yeah Rashford seems to have done some shooting practice with uh, <laughs> Solskjaer because I've not always been the his biggest fan in front of goal um, but yeah he's great finish and uh, maybe say that the keeper should do better but I think Lloris has um, done some weird things and kind of struggled recently um, De Gea you know in polar opposite might have got there but um, no it was on target and in the bottom corner and it was a very even first half, I think it's fair to say, and, and probably for the first quarter of an hour of the, the second half, but uh, from then on, Spurs went on and dominated, and it was chance after chance after chance, wasn't it? I mean, how did they not score? I think we all know why, don't we? <laughs> you know, they've got the best keeper in the world. He's, yeah, he's brilliant, isn't he? He is brilliant. Like some, they are, he's brilliant saves. They should have scored, though, shouldn't they? they you know, they are great saves, but... De Gea made 11 saves in the game which is which is a lot for a, a Premier League game and I think you could say some of them were saves that he should make and he made the same save about five or six times probably with his feet but if the Spurs had the opportunity if the finishing was good enough he wouldn't have had a chance would he? No not, not really I mean you're looking at Harry Kane who I think everyone agrees is one of the best finishers in the world at the moment um, and he's you know shooting directly at have you know any goalkeeper's feet? I don't really try and squeeze it under, and you know to make eleven saves is good because you shoot eleven times. You like to think one of them would get close to going in, but they were all very up at his feet. They're all towards the goalkeeper. Essentially, even Lorente, I think, had one in the centre of the goal. We didn't quite catch it right. So they're all. It was yes, De Gea made some eleven saves, and yes, he is the best keeper in the world. But I think Spurs could have done a bit more to make his life tougher. And I think what's maybe more disappointing for Spurs is that Phil Jones was doing his best to give him a goal for it. You know, he lost Harry Kane from a corner. He lost someone else on the edge of the box. He wasn't really that close to him at any point, was he? No, I think uh, he he struggles, Phil. I mean, he's kind of bit, yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw that he's he's had I think three clean sheets uh, in Newcastle, Reading, and. Um, Spurs with Lindelof and uh, and De Gea and obviously uh, the the chosen fullbacks, but um, yeah, I can't see he's got too much of a future. I think Bailly's bands up now. He'll hopefully try and get Bailly and Lindelof together for the rest of the season and then go big in the summer on a centre half. But Lindelof seems to be growing in confidence and starting to look like a potential uh, first team regular. I agree. I think Lindelof looks like a player who could be the United centre after the next 10 years which is obviously good if you're a United fan but going back to Phil Jones it's like the only time I think he got near Harry Kane was about a split second after the final whistle where he finally ma- the whistle went he finally managed to catch him give him a big clump and now Kane's out for about six weeks <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. what a knob oh, pro- he, he, he misses big games as well Kane doesn't he yeah. oh sorry yeah so, so it's a Carabao semi-final second leg he misses the Champions League ties home and away against Dortmund and also seven league games and you combine that with Sons going to the, the Cup are Spurs have they got a spend in January? well hopefully not before Saturday <laughs> it's fun and Spurs Saturday isn't it I think <laughs> Sunday afternoon Sunday afternoon yeah they, yeah they do they do have to spend but I, I don't, have they got the money they've spent so much on a new stadium but they're, I I just think their squad isn't 
isn't big enough at all. I, you know, you, you, Lorente's good enough to bring on against an, a lower league side, but but then again, what it's it's, it's catch twenty two because who who are they going to sign? That's going to be a top top forward that's going to want to play, you know, second fiddle to Harry Kane because yeah. Kane will be number one when he comes back. So when you're bringing Kane off the bench for no reason against Tranmere, it's difficult to see how anyone else would really want to just come and be behind him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think. Um, you, you nailed it. You got you the person. So you're looking at people that are not top top strikers now. So you look at Callum Wilson. And you go, he's probably not good enough to lead the line for a top four club. Yet he's going to cost you seventy five million apparently as well, which is absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> like it's just it just blows my mind. So you know Spurs are also, Spurs must also think right. Well, we need to buy someone who's going to like say going to be okay with playing fiddle second fiddle to, to Harry Kane, but we also don't want to break the bank. And it's it's a very weird Venn diagram that have got to find a player in the middle of. So it's a bit of an odd one at the moment. I think Spurs could, you know. They've got enough quality around them in terms of people like Christian Eriksen who can create a goal, but they've, they've, without Son and Kane, you are missing that person to stick it in the back of the net, and that is worrying for them. OK, so sorry to do this to you, Ant. It seems to be every week at the minute, but there always seems to be a story. Burnley v Fulham. Burnley managed to win 2-1 without having a shot on target. <laughs> oh, man, horrible, isn't it? Oh. Two own goals. That Adoy, honestly, is terrible. Yeah, it. And do you see the goal? Do you see Schroeder's goal? Yeah. So started off great. I just, it's just not going right for Fulham, is it? And uh, like they caused half their own problems. Um, I just don't think we're good enough. We're not a good enough Premier League side. I'm afraid. I don't think we're not. Has he? As we're not experts particularly from last season has he has at the beginning of the season did they change too many players and not trust the ones who brought them up yeah they brought in like 12 players changed the whole squad they, and what I didn't get is they brought in a back four they changed the whole back four and like between them I don't, I don't know where the, like the premiership like proven quality is it was Alfie Mawson he signed you know alright is it a bit of like an English hype thing he got relegated with Swansea Joe Bryant's championship Timothy Fosu Mensa looks alright in spells but he cannot defend and then, uh, I can't remember who else he brought in Chambers oh, oh, he's, I watched him at Chelsea he is horrendous and Callum Chambers so I, is, is, are they better than Tim Ream are they no he, it, it, they, he changed too much so Burnley have had a bit of a struggle this season are they Back to being Burnley, winning without getting a shot on target. I mean, Tarkovsky made a fantastic goal on clearance. Are they are they back to what they have been in the last couple of seasons? Uh, yeah, I think um, Burnley aren't. You know, the last season they you know they shocked a lot of people, finishing as high as they did. I think it was was it seventh in the end. You know, Europa League spot, which is brilliant for, for Burnley football of course it is but it's you know, they achieved above their means last year so they've got they've got two good centre halves in Ben Mee and Tarkovsky and they've got almost well two decent keepers in Nick Pope and Tom Heen obviously Nick Pope's out at the moment Tom Heen's a very decent keeper and now he's back he looks like he looked quite sharp actually he's made some decent saves but the rest of the team you know no disrespect not that they're going to listen to Weston's podcast from Burnley, <laughs> but um they're a bunch of tryhards, aren't they? They are. They work their backloads off for their for their whole game, um, and 
So that's where you know that even though when they're not get, picking up the results, eventually they should come good because they're all going to work their ass off to try and get there. So I think they're doing all right this year. They'll do all right. And all that's changed in the last three games, which has now been three wins back to back, which is something they've been struggling on, is that Tom Heaton's gone his goal. I mean, can literally a change of goalkeeper influence your form like that? Uh, I think Joe Art's kind of his demise has been alarming and spectacular and quite enjoyable from a United <laughs> fan perspective. But um, yeah, it, it's one of them, and it you can't you can't say that he wouldn't have kept a clean sheet against Fulham and it had been a different game and and things like that. But it if that's one of the main changes that's happened and they've had a turnaround in form, then it's hard to kind of look elsewhere with that. So Ant, Fulham are looking to address all their problems. They've signed Ryan Babel. Is this going to be this going to be the start of a massive upward climb? Honestly, I reckon like Chelsea and QPR paying Ranieri, like just uh, banter on us. I, I mean, Holland are playing well, aren't they? And he still plays for them. So I just we got so, got so many players in that attacking sort of wide forwardy type role. You know, maybe maybe a back four strengthening would have been better. Who knows? It just looks like a, a, a random signing. Was it six months? Probably. It's a six-month deal. So, uh, but there's talks of Gary Cale. So, <laughs> will that help? Oh, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it, well, it would, but oh no. Next. Be better than what you've got now, wouldn't it? Oh, God. Okay, so let's move on before Ant uh, disappears from <laughs> the table. Uh, just a little on, so Leicester Southampton, uh, Southampton managed to, to go 2-0 up at Leicester, they had a man sent off despite that and, and clung on to a victory, which is a good away win you would, would say at Leicester. Um, Shane Long, his last four goals of Southampton has come under four different managers, which sort of says something about Southampton's goal scoring problems. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Southampton's strike, strike force of Charlie Austin, Shane Long, and until fairly recent, Gabby Adini doesn't exactly strike fear into many defences <laughs> around the Premier League. So, um, yeah, I mean, Shane Long's another, he, he runs all day long, and every now and every like 400 games scores a goal. They, they desperately need a striker, but once we, like, like we've talked about before, I think a lot of clubs are searching for a striker, and it's potentially hard to find at the moment. Um, so, yeah, you know, they're looking to strengthen that area. I wouldn't know who they would go after, to be honest. And what is it about supporters and Claude Pruel? With Southampton, he finished eighth and got them to the League Cup final, where they were unlucky to lose to, to Man United. Uh, with Leicester, they're currently in sort of eighth and ninth place and doing okay. He's shown great dignity in the, in the face of what's happened with the, the difficulty with the, the death of the Leicester owner this season. He's come over really well. And yet, Leicester fans don't like him either. Just what is it about him that people, the fans can't take to? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. I know I've read something um, that him and Vardy don't get on um, with the Leicester thing, but I don't think that should necessarily be look bad on Claude Puel. I don't think that uh, Vardy's the best human being. But um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. It's tough. Like The stats don't speak for themselves. I think with Leicester, it could potentially be a bit of a poison chalice when they've had a freak season and won it in the last sort of three years like Leicester fans probably sat there a bit bored like ninth in the table aren't going to win a trophy aren't going to go down aren't going to get into Europe so it's one of them like it's probably just a bit of almost like a hangover period at the minute and I don't know what they expect anyone's going to come in and do or who they think could do the job but um, 
I don't know if he went like Southampton either. There must be something that he's doing wrong. Southampton fans start a play. Is that not the big issue? But then it, no, it depends what sort of football fan you are. Would you rather your side grind out results and finish eighth and get cup finals, or play open, expansive football but? potentially finish lower but you know you'll see a few goals it's not a regular thing with Southampton to get the cup finals is it so you'd sort of yeah. think that and, and even like not too many weeks ago Jamie Vardy did say about him he said his style of play doesn't suit my game but it's up to me to adapt and work with that style of play and get in there so they're the laying, the, laying the ground there maybe it's a, people are being a bit harsh anyway so Liverpool they picked up a messy 1-0 win away at Brighton not the best performance but they got there in the end grinding out results that's what champions do isn't it yeah unfortunately it is <laughs> and three United fans here I think we kind of used to specialise in stuff like that obviously I don't think Brighton were in the Premier League at the time but there would have been loads of times where we went to I don't know Sunderland away and and got the result where you know other teams had slipped up but it is looking ominous and uh, with them going out the FA Cup and you know City have got the though Burton's not the biggest test I saw something between now and the end of January Liverpool have got two games and City have got four with the League Cup and FA Cup it's just little things like that that uh, might make the difference I've just got to pray that Salah and Van Dijk have something happen to them that rules them out for the rest of the season but isn't life threatening <laughs> yeah I hope that's not a threat Mavs, but there we go um, so the other, some of the other things Marko Arnautovic at West Ham um, it looks like he wants to go to China and one of the things he said is because he wants to win things I mean I find it odd to think that he wants to win a China league or a China league club do we believe him or would we be happy if he just came out and said it's because they're going to pay me a massive amount of money and I'll be set for life um, I think, I think well, I mean, as a fan, you'd probably be happy with him coming out and saying that and wouldn't really begrudge him that. I think uh, a few people have done that. Oscar, I think, went out there with that kind of mindset and said, I'll play out here for a couple of years, they'll pay me stupid money and then I'll be set for life, like we said. So, you know, if you come out and say that, it'd be great. I mean, a trophy's a trophy, so maybe he does want to win the, Chi- the Chinese league. Uh, fair play to him. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, it's, not, it's not a great standard out there, but... To, I can imagine they're chucking a lot of cash at him and if they are like I say go out there play for a season set yourself up for life and come back it's a quite a short career isn't it for a footballer so you know I'm not don't get me wrong I'm not playing my little violin for them they get paid an awful lot but yeah can't really blame him too much maybe he's like Robert Keane and this is a romantic move and it's his boyhood dream to play for Beijing Titans uh, what a side what a side and what, what a I don't play. even know if they exist by the way honestly uh, yeah I, I agree with Wolf I think if you know, is, is his brother's his agent, isn't yes. it? So he's obviously come out with this statement, and uh, blokes had a bang to there. Just, just be honest. Just say, look, it's, his, it's ultimately, it's footballing is his job. He is going to another club company to earn more wage. You know, and and it's all. Re- I know people. It's all relative. Like, yeah, it's all relative. People think like, oh, you've got this amount of money. Why do you need more? Like that's the norm to him. So when he gets offered five times more, he, he's, he's going to go, isn't he? We all live within that means. I pay my mortgage based on my salary. If you get the opportunity to earn a salary that's four or five times as much, then you, you adjust your life accordingly, don't you? So we can understand that. Um, David Wagner has gone as manager of Huddersfield. Um, I know they're adrift at the bottom of the league, but in a way I think it's still a surprise that he's gone. 
Yeah, I've got a, uh, a friend who's a Huddersfield fan, which is random, I know. Well, you've got friends? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you've got a, Hud- a Huddersfield fan, and um, I think he was really disappointed with it, but it sounds like almost Wagner went and said that he kind of needed a break from football, offered to give do the shift to the end of the season, but they've said nah don't worry about it like you can leave now which is kind of a sad end to a pretty nice story considering I don't think anyone expected Huddersfield to be in the Premier League and stay up last year and beat some of the teams that they did um, but they're banging trouble when you got Big Sam coming out and saying I don't want the job because no magic I can work will get them out of trouble you know things aren't great no it's um, yeah it's, it's an odd end but it does sound very amicable um but he took over and Huddersfield in 19th place in the championship he kept them up he got them promoted the next season even though they were relegation favourites and he kept them up in the Premier League even though they were relegation favourites again I mean that's that's a great achievement to, on a lot of levels yeah yeah no you, you know quite all credit to him he, he has done a fantastic job like I say you weren't, wouldn't expect Huddersfield to get into the Premier League and then stay there it was a fantastic achievement um, <clears throat> they're probably limited by by financial investment um, and in the Premier League you've seen that nowadays you do you do need that backing even from the smaller clubs um, and yeah it's, it's, it's a tough one but so they don't they, they don't look like they've got the, the, the amount of quality they need to stay into the Premier League this season they might shock us when they get a new manager and you always see that give them a little bit of a bump but I do feel like they, they do lack that star quality that you know, just that one player who can get some goals or one player who can keep some clean sheets uh, to keep them in the Premier League. So Allardyce has ruled himself out is it, as it's mission impossible. Where on earth are they going to go next? Yeah, I was just thinking that. I think... Um, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Gary Megson, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think any up-and-coming manager will want to take it because, you know, it's just another year of rebuilding and stuff. And they're not necessarily... They're not a massive club, are they? It's not like taking over Villa or someone like that as they're going down. So I, I really have no idea. Probably someone like Pardew, when it just that 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 continuous merry-go-round of managers. That would sort of feel to be a, a, a little bit demoralising, but they're not necessarily the sort of club you, you don't feel that they would necessarily bounce back whoever was in charge. No, I, I think it could almost end up like a Sunderland. Carney, um, but yeah, they, it's it's one of them where you could see them almost going down, losing maybe the one and two, one or two players that they have of any kind of quality, like Aaron Moy, um, and then yeah, you could see him going down again. But yeah, you can't see anyone wanting to take it over now and getting a relegation definitely on their record. But maybe someone who, as Ant says, like Pardew or. I don't know, Kerbishly or someone like that who don't care about a relegation will say they'll have the job for the money. OK, and Wagner, for what he's done, will he get himself a decent job in the summer when there's one available? Um, no, I mean, he, you know, he's, he's definitely shown qualities and he's you know, got, got promoted into the Premier League. That's a great achievement. So potentially, you know, it's, it's like we say, it's just whether whether clubs stop looking at this constant merry-go-round of, of um, you know, Allardyce and Pardew and, and names like that and whether they can actually start giving people like Wagner a, you know, a go and, and taking a risk with some of these younger, uh, younger up-and-coming managers. Uh, I think we're all, as, as football fans, getting a bit frustrated by, you know, for, you know 
these pe- these uh, these old men with grey hair coming in and trying to save the day. Um, so I think yeah, it'd be, it definitely would be good. I don't know whereabouts he would go. He might go back to Germany, pick up a, a job in there. But um, yeah, hopefully he does get a chance. Well, Huddersfield took a chance with Wagner and it, it paid off ultimately. So let's hope they do the same thing again. Uh, also announced this week, one of the well, I'll leave it to you to decide what he was, but. Well, a goalkeeper who's been around for a long time Petr Cech has announced his retirement I guess it's fair to say he's, he's definitely up there with the best that's been in the Premier League era even though that's only started 25 years ago yeah well because my, my age group um, I, th- I think he is the best keeper um, of the Prem only because I've seen him for, I, didn't, I can't remember Schmeichel I, I, obviously I know he was brilliant I'm not, I'm not saying that but if I had to you know since I've started watching football he's been the best, continuously best keeper in the Prem it probably is Czech um, and yeah I don't, I don't blame him for retiring he knows his body he's been through a lot and I don't, the signs are there when he's starting to make a few mistakes and I think in, in your profession when you you know, it must be the most frustrating thing in the world where you're starting to do things that you, you, you know you wouldn't normally do. Your brain's telling you to do things, but your body's not quite reacting. And yeah, great career. And by all accounts, a really a top bloke, wasn't it? Because when was it Ryan Mason? Yeah. He he went round and, and and sort of said to him, "Look, don't don't speak. I'm just going to talk to you for an hour." And um, yeah, great keeper for me. Is your time a little bit early? Um. I don't know. It depends what some some people like to kind of move down the leagues and carry on playing. But I might, I, I don't think there's a trophy he hasn't won. Is there? He's uh, domestically he won the Champs League, UEFA Cup, would have done everything domestically. Yeah. So I don't know. He probably, to be honest, I think if I went in goal for half a season in front of Mustafi and <laughs> people like that, then I'd probably retire as well. It's got to be demoralising <laughs> being in front of those guys and. Um, yeah, that Leno who's come in seems to be making a couple of mistakes. So if he's keeping him out, he's probably he obviously had that head injury as well. So you know he obviously wears his scrum cap, but probably don't want to be clipped again and might just think that like, I've got the got everything I need to do now. But he's the type of person who'll end up being the goalkeeper coach for a really good side. So I'm sure he'll uh, he'll still be about. Okay, and just to finish, then we can't leave it out. Uh, Spygate has happened this week. Um, there's a man stood outside a fence looking through the fence on public property. If he was an employee of Leeds United but he was a member of the public, this wouldn't be a story, would it? No, it, no, it wouldn't be a story. And to be honest, even though he's a Leeds employer, I still don't think it's that big a deal. Um, at the end of the day, the amount of clips and you know, video footage they, they watch nowadays, you know, you know, I've just seen that Marco Biosi... Um, uh, conference he basically reeled out all the like schedule of the footage and stuff and, and then in a Frank Lampard conference Lampard goes that's nothing special we all do it and it's, and it's exactly that you know it's, they all know what each other's doing they all know each other's formation the players um, unless they're coming up with some special alley-oop move that they're going to do in the, during the game it doesn't really make any difference I don't see the big deal of it to be honest so you you can't pick up much the day before the game you can train against and we, we sort of feel that he hasn't really done anything wrong it's all I guess in cycling they call it marginal gains it's the little things and if if that's the sort of thing you should be doing I'm surely everyone's doing it, it and, and it happens every get. this is what I don't get you've got like your ex-players like Martin Keown right brilliant saying it's like ungentlemanly but you know the bloke that jumps and whacks Ruud van Nistelrooy middle of it you know giving you know preaching and it's like 
you, in, in the whole game of football, you get a marginal. Get you, you, you deliberately try and gain an advantage, and that's all Bielsa is doing. Like, you walk a few extra yards for a throw in. You, 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 you move the ball out of the corner. You know, thing. You, you, you naturally do try and cheat a bit to gain an advantage. So, no, he did, he did absolutely nothing wrong. He was clever, and look, and look where Leeds are. So, like, like you say, really, you've got. People during a game, they take their corner deliberately out the corner quadrant, which is deliberately cheating. You deliberately pull someone's shirt, which is cheating. You deliberately dive, which is cheating. Here's a bloke stood on public land, not breaking any rules or any laws. What, what's all the fuss about? Surely we should be focusing on the more important matters. I think it's just news story, isn't it? It's something that you can make quite a big deal of. You got the, the thing that annoys me is it's the top like journalists or f- top football correspondents from all the papers who speak about it. Who I've seen loads of stuff with people like Gary Neville, etc., reaching out to them and saying, "Well, how about when you used to, you know, writing in your autobiographies that you used to hide in bushes to watch England training and leak the team from a taken photograph of the team sheet that a coach is holding, but yet they." think this is bad and want point deductions and stuff like that i think it's just all sales papers makes people listen to podcasts sky sports news all that i think that's all it is so bielsa has admitted he's watched everyone since he came to the country every game they've had um in andre villas's boas's i think i said the name right uh, autobiography or story uh he said when he worked for jose he did exactly the same thing even sneaking into the the training set in the training camps, the training facilities to watch them and undercover, and that was a team that Frank Lampard played in. Uh, is it a bit hypocritical to call what Bielsa's doing cheating? Yeah, yeah. Well, Lampard had no idea that was going on. Yeah, I, surely it's always happened. This isn't. This can't be something. That, Bielsa's not the only person in the football league that does this. And I, what? I, and I don't think. You know, I know media have their favourite, but it just it would be so interesting if another club or, or manager would, have, you know, I think I don't know someone like let's say Gareth Southgate in England, who we love at the minute. If, if that got done, I think the, the, the betray would be different. I think I think if Pep did something similar, it would almost be like a, a you know masterstroke. I do think you know I, I know people bang on a bit like Leeds fans, you know, we all hate Leeds and that, but I just think it it is all. It's just the press and how they want to manipulate this whole story, I think. So we've all either seen or, or heard about the, the press conference he put on where he went through his analysis in, in great detail um, and the amount of time it takes and he, he watches every game of his opponents and it takes him and his staff four hours to watch each game as they break it down and analyse it. And even though, yes, there was a bloke stood outside Derby's training ground, he already knew the percentage of games that they've played using different formations, the, the percentage of games that each player has played in different formations, the formations they've been playing against when they've struggled. Even to the point of they play, they're playing Stoke this weekend, they've got a new manager in Nathan Jones, who's not necessarily got off to the best starts. So what he's done is watched 26 Luton matches to see the sort of style of play that he's trying to introduce. I mean, the, the level of, of detail this puts in, it's, I presume you would presume that Premier League clubs are doing this if maybe normal championship sides don't have the personnel to do that um, potentially not the experience of some of the, the top managers in terms of 
you know, quite so few top. So, for instance, Pep. Pep's been not only a man, so he's not been a manager for the, the you know, great span of time, although he has got a lot of experience. But he's also played at a top level. So maybe you know that's not filtered down as much. Whereas like, I can imagine Frank Lampard, who has played at a top level and watched other managers, other top managers, you know, carry out those practices. He's probably input input something in place similar at Derby. Whereas so maybe maybe that's just a bit of a naivety from from some of the championship managers who haven't been able to perform at that top level for a long period of time. But he has 20 staff who help him prepare and watch these games. I mean, certainly Premier League clubs will be of that, but Championship and downwards, they haven't got the money to employ these people, have they? Uh, I think a lot of it's like dual roles. I don't think they're necessarily 20 people whose sole role is to look at stats and watch previous games and stuff like that. I think think there's a lot of like analysts and stuff that are at football clubs now. But yeah, I'd imagine bottom half of championship in terms of size of clubs and league one etc will have smaller teams and budgets to do that but if that's what uh, Miss Bielsa wants to do then you know who can blame him and looking at where they are in the table I think that uh, if they do go on to go up then it's it's all worth it isn't it with the money that you get from uh, from uh, Sky for being in the Premier League although they are on TV every week so they must get quite a bit of money anyway. Okay, so some Leeds players have spoken of 12-hour shifts on the changing training ground under Bielsa, and um, he also spoke in his press conference of a game, I can't remember the side he was in charge of, but he played Pep's Barcelona. It didn't go too well, they lost 3-0, and at the end of the game was a sort of memento, he gave Pep this massive information packet they'd collated, and all the research that they'd done, and handed it to him. And Pep's reply was, you know more, more about Barcelona than I do which is quite an achievement and maybe some of the reason why people like Pep and Pochettino hold Bielsa in such regard so I guess final question of the evening is um, do we need to get Harry and JR a bucket to make them a bit bit better? Oh, Harry needs a lot more of a bucket to get better I think uh, JR's alright Harry Harry struggles um, yeah I don't yeah I mean if Harry could be on time to train in that would be a good start, wouldn't it? Turn up for a podcast. Yeah, or yeah, or turn up for the podcast. <laughs> okay, that's it for another week. Thank you ever so much for listening to us. We'll go out to the strains of the quiz advertising in the background. You can catch all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you can find your podcast. Please subscribe and give us a nice rating. We'd like for you to get in touch, so don't be afraid to ask us questions. It will give us something else to talk about. You can search for our webpage via Google and we're also on Facebook and Twitter with the handle at Westland underscore sports. So please do get in touch. Use the hashtag WSCpod and we will find your comments. Please don't forget our predictor score. If you think you've got what it takes to predict three results of football matches correctly, then the £1,000 could be wigging its way to you. I would like to thank Ant Heron, Alex Murphy, Jake Wolfe and Matt Phillips for their time this evening and wish best of luck to all our teams this weekend.